let's go ahead and go to our sermon today. And uh, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. The verse that I'm going to read for us for our text today is verse 10. And we will be, I'll be seeking to expound upon this uh, today as we come to an, the end of our spiritual gifts study that we have been in for probably about two months now. Um, going through the text of the Bible in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. And the reason I've been doing this is that we can know what the Bible says on this topic, that we might employ our spiritual gifts for the glory of God through Christ. Verse 10 of 1 Peter 4. If you've got that, would you say amen? amen. All right, I'm going to read it aloud for us. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ today that you'd please bless your word as it goes out and bless me as I try to deliver it to your people. Father, please strengthen me for I can do nothing in myself. Uh, Father, I need your help and I pray, God, that just as I need your help to deliver your word, your people need your help, Father, that they may be able to hear your word and uh, understand it for what it says, for the truth of it. And then certainly, Father, we need your grace that we might serve you according to your word. So bless us now. We thank you for Jesus who died for our sins, was buried and rose again, who lives victoriously. And it's only because of him, Father, that this body of Christ exists, that this church exists, and that we, we can even study this and desire to serve you. It's because of Christ. I pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, um, today, this Sunday morning, will probably be my last sermon to preach on spiritual gifts in this series. Have you learned anything? I, I hope so. And I, maybe you've even been reminded of some things. A lot of preaching is just reminding you folks of things that you already know and you just forgot. Um, I have two Sundays in the month before, left in the month to preach, before I will take my annual preaching break in the month of July. There are five Sundays in July this year, and you, you all will be hearing from five of the men from the church in July on Sunday mornings. God has blessed us in such a way that there are men within the congregation here to fill the pulpit uh, when I am absent, and that is something, church, to be thankful for and God has blessed us and we it's evident in that uh, next Sunday the I want to talk to you from God's word and address what our nation recognizes in the month of June as a um, pride month and then the following Sunday the last Sunday of June I, I want I'll really be preaching a sermon God willing, that is largely geared toward the young people in the church. Uh, that's the plan. We'll see how my plan aligns with God's will as we move forward. Now, I have a question for you. If you knew that the end of all things was at hand, what would you do? Right, let me ask you again. If you knew 
that the end of all things was at hand, what would you do? Would you get your affairs in order? Get your home in order? Would you make things right with God and man? Uh, Would you finish your bucket list? Would you read the Bible more? Would you pray more? In the book Devoted that we gave out to our moms on Mother's Day, about John Piper's mother in there, it really struck me as I was reading that book that uh, they, he found a folder from, from her, his mom in her belongings after she had passed away. And I think the title on the folder said, To Do or To Do's. And he opened it up and it was empty. Nothing to do. Because she had done everything she was supposed to do when she was here. This is an interesting question about what would you do if the end of all things was at hand. And it provokes interesting thoughts. But we actually have here in 1 Peter a list of what we should do or be doing because the end of all things is at hand. You can find it here in 1 Peter 4 beginning at verse 7. You got it? Everybody see it? Verse 7, Peter says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Verse 9, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then, looky there, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This may surprise us today, and I dare say I typically do not associate spiritual gifting with preparation for the end of all things. Do you? But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here does just that. Serious, watchful prayer, fervent love, willing hospitality, ministry of spiritual gifts in the church. Who would have thought? So as we do a quick review, looking into this message today that I've entitled Stewards of Grace, I would ask you, what is a spiritual gift? I hope you're getting this definition in your mind somewhat as we've gone over it a couple of times in our study. But a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit in a believer for the benefit of the church. A a manifestation, it is um, the Spirit making itself, Himself obvious in the life of, of a believer, and it's for the benefit of the church, the body of Christ. That's what a spiritual gift is. Now, we could go on from there and say that really it's a manifestation of the Godhead. It's a manifestation of God the Father, a manifestation of the Spirit, a manifestation of the Son, because we've seen that all three members of the Godhead are active in giving gifts to the church so that we might rightly serve the body of Christ. Now, we have uh, also seen all of the text in the New Testament where these are found. And uh, the question there that's not on your handout, but I have it on the screen. Where are the spiritual gifts in the New Testament found? Now, it's a quizzy poo for you this morning. Where are they? All right, Romans 12, I heard that one. 
Ephesians 4, I heard that one. 1 Corinthians 12, that's right. All right, whoop, go back there. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Again, you can know this. We've spent two months in this. Please know this by now. Help a brother out, okay? I really hope that you have learned that. Now, as we think about these lists that are found here, I I don't know if y'all can see that or not, but uh, I can barely see it back there on the back screen. But I've listed up here just for... Just for us to be able to see it this morning, the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And then we see also the gifts that are found in Romans 12. And then we find in Ephesians 4 the gifts that are found there. There's some 20 gifts or so, a little over 20 gifts. I had a hard time counting them all up. but um, Because there are some that overlap. These gifts vary. Some gifts are kind of a miraculous type of gift. Some gifts are speaking gifts. Some gifts are serving gifts. Some gifts were very foundational for the church. And they wrote like the roles of apostles and prophets as it was then in in the New Testament no longer exist as it was then. However, we see like missionaries being those who sent out, they are apostles, modern day, and those who speak the word, who exhort, edify, and comfort are prophesying, according to 1 Corinthians 12. So that's kind of the list. Is this list exhaustive? I mean, probably not. It probably whatever way in which you profit the church and benefit the church is your gifting that God has given to you at least one of the ways in which you're able to do that. Um, All right, so here's what we see, first of all. Uh, And our first point as we work through this passage pretty quickly this morning is that uh, spiritual gifts work like this. Each one has received a gift. We have... Emphasize that. I've gone over that several times. If you're taking notes, you could write down 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. You could write down Romans 12, verse 3. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And then you could write down Ephesians 4, verse 7. Where it says, but to each one grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And now in 1 Peter 4.11, we see that each one has received a gift and they are to minister it to one another. See, every time, every one of these uh, passages that we look at pertaining to spiritual gifts is emphasizing, is teaching us that each believer in the church, each Christian, has been given by God a spiritual gift that is to be used in the church. Everybody get that by now? Um, You know, this is not something you can worm your way out of. And I want to make it so that you can't worm your way out of it. You have it, and you have got to do something with it. I'm harping on this from the Bible because I actually 
want to set this in your lap like I were setting a a stack of songbooks in your lap this morning so that you've got to do something with it. Will you chunk them to the side? Will you pass it on to the next person? Will you try to just ignore it and act like the books aren't in your lap? Or will you take these books and do something with them that is beneficial and helpful for the church? In a way, will you pass them out? Will you use them, uh, give them to others so that you can help them? I want you to have to deal with the reality that Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has given you a gifting that you are to use in the church. We see in this verse, in verse 10, that he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace. Of God, I've talked about this a couple of times, and you see it on your handout. Now, this probably may may not make sense, but charis is grace. All right, the word grace is basically the root of it is charis. Uh, the word gift in in First Peter four ten, each one has received a gift. It is charisma, so it has as its root the word for grace. So the gift that you have is graciously given to you by God. You don't deserve to have it. You didn't do anything to earn it. He graciously gave it to you. Therefore, the one who has graciously given you this gift, you ought to use it for for his glory, right? Does that make sense? So let me give you all something else. I'm, I'm probably getting off in the weeds here and shouldn't. But I want to go ahead and do this real quick. That's the Greek word that you see up there. Okay? Charis and Charis. Now I'm about to do something else. Y'all hold tight. I know y'all are probably too tired to do this. And I'm not trying to be a smarty pants. I just want to try to show y'all something so that when I say transliteration, you know what I'm talking about. All right? So you got, first of all, the Greek word uh, Charis right here. All right? This is just an example. Charis is the Greek. When you transliterate something, you take something from one language and you put it into another with the characters that sound the same. All right? So, charis is the transliteration of the Greek word. Now, when you translate it, you bring it into its meaning. The English word that means this is grace. All right? So, that's the translation. Transliteration is when you just change the letters. All right, I'm not staying there any longer than that because I don't want to make anybody mad at me. All right, (laughs) point number two is this. Each one has reason to minister. In verse 10, each one has reason to minister. Do you see it there? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Y'all help me out. Why does each one have a reason to minister? Because each one has received a what? And that gift is for what purpose? To minister. It is to, I like what the New American Standard says, it is to employ. It is to be employed in the church. The word for minister here is a word that uh, comes from the word that we get deacon from. 
it, and then let me just read a definition here. It refers to actions associated with providing care, often in the form of humble service. Um, it's the idea of waiting on tables, preparing tables for others. And that comes in handy for us really today is today's a day where we're turning in a deacon selections, deacon nominations. Um, and there's some uh, papers on the back there that you can fill out and drop those in the back uh, box. Today and tonight is the last time to do that. And as you think about who would be a good deacon in this church, I, I tell you, deacons are servants. So not only should they be men of faith, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, and then aligned with the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, but as you look at those um, distinctives in Scripture, you ought to look among the congregation and say, who's serving? Who are the servants in this church? And you ought to begin to explore that avenue and those names and people that come to mind. So today and tonight is the last time to turn those uh, in and then we'll be going from there. All right. Now, if you look over at first Peter chapter two, we see this in verse five in verse five and thinking about being a minister, the priest in the Old Testament were those who ministered to God on behalf of the people. And they ministered for the people. Earlier on in this book, Peter laid out for us what we are. In verse 5 of chapter 2, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then you go down to verse 9, if you would, please. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, our calling, church, as those who are a holy priesthood in a royal priesthood does not cause us to say, Woo, everybody serve me. Everybody come on along, serve me. I'm, I'm here to be served. No, Jesus even himself said that he is not among us, was not among his disciples as one who is served, but he is there as one who serves. And we are saved and called to be the royal priesthood, the holy people of God, the chosen nation, not to sit back and be served, but to serve one another. And God has given us the, the power, the avenue through which to do that right here in his local church. Point number three. <clears throat> Point number three is each one has responsibility 
as stewards. Each one has responsibility as stewards. You see, beloved, this morning, um, are you a Christian? If you are, then you're a minister. But you are not just a minister in name. You are a saint who has been and is being equipped for the work of ministry. Do you remember Ephesians 4? Beloved, in preaching through these passages, God is actually equipping you through the preaching of His Word to serve, to minister in His name. And it it comes through the preaching of the Word. And as I have been doing that, I am actually able to fulfill my calling as pastor and teacher. And my job is to equip you for the work of ministry. And I hope that it has come that way. Now, young people, young people, believers, Christians, Christian young people, this doesn't just apply to your mom and dad. This applies to you. All right? Those of you who are older, this doesn't just apply to the young people. It applies to you, to all of us who are in the body of Christ. D.L. Moody was, had his life forever changed when he heard the words of a pastor who said, "This the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And then C.T. Studd made this wonderful statement that is well known. But he said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, we are equipped and we are called and we are responsible to be stewards of that which we've been entrusted with. Now, I've got some questions for you. What are we good stewards of? It's the manifold grace of God. You see it in verse 1 Peter 4, verse 10. At the end of it, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold, does anybody have a different translation there besides manifold Various, various forms, the various forms. All right, now think about it, church. The form of grace that's been given to you might be to teach. The form of grace that's been given to you might be to help, be helps. The the form of grace that might be given to you is maybe the gift of administrations. The, the form of grace that might be given to you back there in the cheap seats in the cry room might be to minister. But to everyone, this grace has been given and it's given in various ways. And we, each individual one, are stewards of it. What is a steward? It is like a household manager. It's someone who's been given the responsibility to care for something that belongs to somebody else. They are to be stewards of it, to take care of it, and to use it appropriately. God has given us 
His grace in various forms in the church. And we're called to take good care of it. We're called to use it well. We see another question here is how? That takes us down to verse 11. How do we do this? Notice in this verse that he breaks it down into really two, two, two forms here. Into two, um, two avenues. One is speaking gifts. The other is serving gifts. And you can kind of break them down that way. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the what? The what? Oracles. The utterances. The logia of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. So what do we see? We see that speaking, they are how are they to do it? Speaking oracles of God and serving by the strength God supplies. Let me tell you something. Beloved, this morning, if you're a teacher... If you have a speaking gift and you you are able to employ that in this church, I'll tell you based upon the authority of God's word, speak the oracles of God. Speak the utterances of God. Speak the things which God has said. For we do not want our faith to be built on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And if you are going to speak in any capacity in this church and teach over a class or in this pulpit, speak the utterances of God. For that is what the people of God need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We will tolerate nothing less than that. We have to go to the Bible and expound upon the Bible. Exposit the Bible. Let the Bible run swiftly and be glorified among us. That is what our desire is. And that's how God grows His people and grows His church is through His Word. So, and how, you, how do you serve? How do you minister? It's by how God supplies. Friends, don't serve in any capacity thinking that you've got what it takes. I don't care what it is. Because no matter what it is, no matter how you serve, John 15 tells us that the only way you or I can do anything is if we're attached to the vine. He's the vine. We are the branches. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. So I don't care what your role is. 
do it by the strength, the power that God gives you. Some of you, though, maybe not, you're not doing anything because you say you can't. I say, based upon what God says here, you can if you will rely upon the power of God and stop thinking that you have to do it on your own. Believe in God and trust in His power. Last point is why. Well, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Verse 11. At the end, that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Are you glorifying Jesus by the way you're living out your life right now? Are you glorifying Jesus by the way in which you're serving the body, the local church? Are you glorifying Jesus? Is that the motivation of your life and the desire of your life is to bring Him glory? He deserves it. He deserves it forever and ever. Let it begin now in all of our lives. That God be glorified through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He will be glorified as you and I serve together in this body. Do you know Jesus as your Savior this morning? This one who will be glorified, He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. If you've never believed that gospel of salvation that gives us grace, the grace to be saved, then today perhaps you need to repent of your sins. And perhaps today you need to turn to Jesus Christ in faith, believing for the first time that He died not for everybody else's sins, but for your sins. And that you know that you are wretched and undone apart from Him. And that you need Him to save you. You see, Jesus doesn't come to save righteous people. Jesus came to save sinners and to call them to repentance. And perhaps today you know that you need to repent. You need to repent and turn to Jesus And you need to live out the rest of your days in faithful service to Him in the local church. Let's pray together. Father, on that day when Jesus returns, and it will come, surely the end of all things is at hand. Father, I pray that we will be found there on that day not as those who are rusted out, but those who are worn out in service to Jesus. Father, I pray that for anyone who is straddling the spiritual fence, Lord, I pray for me in the ways when I try to straddle the spiritual fence, living in the world and in the church and in Christianity. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for all of us in any area where your word needs to shape us. Lord, I pray that we will not be resistant, but that we will hear, hear you and repent and live accordingly. 
Lord, I'm a great sinner. But I thank you, Father, that I have a great Savior and that we all do. Father, I pray for anybody who's, who has not believed in Jesus. And I pray today, God, that they will repent and believe. Follow you in believers' baptism and serve you all of their days as you gift them and empower them to do so by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.